I am aware of the rules. Anytime you have a long gospel, you're supposed to have a short homily. I cannot promise you that I'm going to follow the rules, though. So that's kind of what, you, what, what I tend to do. I'm not very good at that. Um, so this passage, I think we've all probably heard it multiple times. You know, this, this whole story of the woman at the well and, you know, Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And, and basically the, the general theme of the story is that Jesus is nice to sinners, which is absolutely true. Very, very true. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is kind. Jesus is compassionate. And it's really kind of shown in his compassion interaction with this rather adulterous woman at the well. But I would argue that there's so much more to this story than just, just Jesus encountering one woman. I would argue that John put this story in here to show us what Jesus did, not just for one woman, but for all of mankind, every single last one of us. And so we begin here with, with this story of Jesus coming to a town of Samaria called Scythar. Now the question is, what is Samaria? Why this whole thing? What's the difference between Samaria and the Jews? We heard in the gospel, the woman looking at Jesus saying, why are you even talking to me? Don't you know that I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew? There was a real divide between the Samaritans and the Jews because the Samaritan people broke off from Judea early on. Right, whenever, right after King Solomon separated the Holy Land, the Jews had their holy city in Jerusalem. The Samaritans had their holy city on a place called Mount Gerasene where they would go and worship God. Now, up in Mount Gerasene was kind of like a place where they, they would mock the Jews, if you will. Well, later on in the year uh, seven, uh, seven, sorry, it was, yeah, 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and ended up wiping out the Samaritans. They came, not really wiped out, but they came in, deported the Samaritans, and they inserted new people and kind of corrupted the Samaritan religion and thus kind of created kind of this weird kind of polytheistic religion, religion of multiple gods within Samaria. And all these religions were worshipped on Mount Gerasene. So as you can tell, the Jews who were strictly one of the few, really the only religion in the world that was strictly monotheistic would obviously not really like the Samaritans who were polytheistic, multiple gods. And so here we are, we have Jesus approaching a town full of polytheism, multiple gods, kind of like very, very, very anti-Jewish people. And then something happens. Jesus is tired from the journey, and he sits down at a well about noon. This seems like a very ordinary line. But there is nothing, not a single word in the scriptures that was not placed there intentionally. Jesus, tired from the journey, sat at a well, has deep meaning. And this is what it means. By the fact that John, who's known for writing what we call high Christology, an idea that Jesus is God. In fact, what he says about Jesus at the very beginning of his gospel is that Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you ever want to see very clearly in the Gospels that Jesus is God, you look at the Gospel of John. He says it very clearly. Jesus, God, same person. But he also illustrates that God became man. So while Jesus is God, he is also fully man. And what do men do? Men get tired at noon. That is what's very clearly stated right here. We get tired. Right about noontime, we start yawning. We start, you know, after lunch, you know, kind of want to take that siesta. That's kind of what is going on right here in today's gospel. Jesus 
is tired from his journey. So what does he do? He sits down. All right. This ultimately is John indicating and John showing us this cool thing called the incarnation. Incarnation. Where God becomes flesh. Where God becomes man. And at what point in mankind does God become man? Not at the very beginning. Not with Adam and Eve. Not at the morning time. But when? At noontime. At the noontime of mankind, God became man. After years and years and years of salvation history, after years and years and years of the Old Testament, that is whenever God became man. He didn't rest in the morning at the well. He rested in the, in the, at noontime at the well. Now, so we, ha- we see here the setting. This is ultimately a story about how Jesus Christ became man to save humanity. But look at where he chooses to do it. At a well. What's the significance of a well? I'm sure you might have heard this before, but a well is essentially the biblical version of a place where you pick up chicks. This is where ultimately this everybody, almost every major patriarch found a wife at a well. Isaac found his wife at a well. Jacob found his wife at a well. Moses found his wife at a well. This is where we've, if a man wants to find a wife, all he's got to do is go to a well, a biblical well. Don't, good luck these days. But, you know, all he's got to do is just go to a well back in biblical times, and boom, right there, God will create a marriage covenant. A marriage, if you will. So here's the interesting thing. So we have man, God becoming man, at the new time of mankind, going to a well and meeting a woman. But here's the interesting thing. This woman is going to the well at noon. Anybody know why? I'm sure you've heard. Whenever women back in the day would go to the well, not at noon, but in the morning time. You'd go, you'd fetch the water, and you'd use that water all day, and then maybe you might need some water in the evening, and then you go in the evening time. Whenever it's kind of cool, cool. Not at noon, the hottest part of the day. So the reason why this woman is at this well at noon was because she was an outcast. She was ultimately a woman rejected by her peers, rejected by her people, no longer loved, if you will. She was one that was kind of set apart, which is why this story is so often highlights and very much highlights Jesus' incredible mercy, Jesus' incredible love, Jesus' incredible love, especially to those who are outcast, those who are downtrodden, those who are sinners. All true, absolutely true. But that does not just apply to adulterous women. That applies to every single last one of us. Every single one of us. Because this woman represents us all. In fact, this woman, I would argue, represents not just her by the fact that she had five husbands, but all of Samaria. You see, that's what's so interesting about this, this prophecy. We have here this woman talking to Jesus And Jesus says, go to your husband, essentially. He says, call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, no, you have five. Kind of a weird number, right? I, you know, I, that's, that's like kind of like world record stuff. Like that's not an easy thing to five husbands right there. What does that mean? That doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, maybe she did actually have it. I don't know. I wasn't there. But this ultimately has a biblical meaning behind it. If you read two Kings chapter 17, it says very clearly that the Assyrians, whenever they deported the, the Samaritans, inserted five foreign entities, and they brought with them their gods. In other words, what Jesus is pointing out, 
is that she represents all the Samaritans with all of their different gods, all their different polytheisms. And what did they do? Where did they break off? They stopped following their one true God, their one real husband. And that's the message of, of this gospel today, that God descended from the heavens, became skin, dwelt among us, became tired even, suffered across, died for us, so that you and I might be back in union with him in the same way the Samaritan woman could be in union with her original husband. In other words, you and I are called to be wedded to God. You and I are called to be, have a singular focus in life, and that is to the Lord. But the tendency, especially this day and age, is to go and adopt all these different devotions, all of these different distractions, much like the Samaritan woman did. What does she do? She, five, she has five husbands. We can easily have way more than that because we have so many more foreign entities available to us right there in our pockets. With our simple stroke of the iPhone, you and I can discover foreign entities that have no business in our brains, that have no business in our lives, that have no business in our hearts. But yet they tend to affect us, draw our attention, and draw us away from who? The Lord. It is harder to be a Christian now than it was back then for just that one simple technological device. And yet, that doesn't necessarily mean it's over. What does Jesus say? He assures us, he gives us a promise of giving us water, living water, to change our hearts, to change us into the sons of God, and to ultimately be what? Be reunited with him. Which means that you and I, on the one hand, are kind of like the Samaritan woman. We're also somebody else in the story. We are the disciples. You see, my friends, the disciples go to Jesus later. And what are they doing? They're scandalized. They can't believe that he's talking to a woman at a well. He's like, what are you doing? You know, is, is there something you're not telling us? Is there something, you, something you're not, not going on? Why are you talking to this, this, this woman? And he's ultimately, he give, goes on this random, weird, eschatological uh, like, explanation, which means he starts talking about very heavenly things that they don't understand. In a, but what the, way, the reason why he says that is because his talking to the woman symbolized something greater. And that something greater is salvation history. My friends, after Jesus died on the cross, the story did not end there. He gave us living water by giving us the Holy Spirit, by giving us the sacraments, by giving us his body, by giving us his blood, by giving us the Holy Spirit, by confirmation, by baptism, by all of these things, filled us with the Lord, filled us with love, and then gave us and sent us out. Sent us out to do what? To reap the harvest. That is, to take what other people have done, take the work of others, and bring them to the Lord. And so, my friends, on the one hand, you and I are called to be faithful to the Lord. You and I are called, like the Samaritan woman, to be faithful to Him alone. We are also called to bring people back. We are laborers in His vineyard. We are disciples, which means you and I are called and have a duty and a mission to go forth and bring people back to what we're initially called for, and that is union with Christ.